Oh, just a little bit of good news about the border. A little bit. Title 42 will live to see a few more days at least. Title 42, the Trump era policy. Great idea that would allow the government to expel illegals uh, if they come across the border, citing the public health emergency, the pandemic. Title 42 will be with us at least for a little while longer. It was scheduled to go away on Wednesday by a federal judge, but the Supreme Court came in and said, you know what, we need a bit more time to think about it. And for that, we have to thank a guy I'm not usually very fond of, Chief Justice John Roberts. It was his decision. They did what they call, I believe, an administrative stay. It's provisional, it's temporary, but it gives us time, hopefully, to figure out some sane solution. Look, it's already a catastrophe down there, but it goes on, it, it would become hell on earth. Because if Title 42 goes away, it's estimated that double the number of illegals will be coming through. Double. Close to 500,000 per month. So it gives us a little bit of breathing room. And for that, I say thank you, Chief Justice John Roberts. I hope you follow up and do the right thing. In the meantime, a little bit of history. My favorite president, other than President Trump, was Richard M. Nixon, the 37th president of the United States. He came from poverty and be, through sheer force of will, just made things happen. He was so driven, so determined, and a very sensitive guy. Became vice president at the age of 40 and became president. You know about Watergate, and I know it wasn't, uh, it wasn't his best moment. Um, you know, the, the, the real thing to say here is he got caught, okay? A lot of folks get away with it. But looking back, it actually seems quaint compared to what we're going through right now. Quick review. This is kind of the Reader's Digest version. Uh, the Watergate gets broken into by a bunch of guys working for a private entity, the Committee to Reelect the President. They break into the Democrat National Committee headquarters, which is there, looking for dirt on somebody, all right? Mischief. Bad should not have happened, and this is where it gets even worse. The cover-up is worse than the crime, they say. Richard Nixon confers with his chief of staff, uh, Mr. Haldeman, and they say, even though most scholars agree that Richard Nixon did not know of this ahead of time, they say, we've got to make sure that word does not get out. We need to uh, make sure that nobody thinks this is political. So let's get the Central Intelligence Agency to call the FBI and say, uh, don't go into this. This is all related to the Bay of Pigs and uh, national security. Just stay the hell out of it, okay? Uh, nice try. It didn't work. The FBI, even though the, the director, uh, the temporary director, a guy named L. Patrick Gray, he was ready to play ball, okay? He wanted to be the director permanently, but the agents... The rank-and-file agents, they sensed something was, uh, was wrong, and they continued to pursue the case, all right? So, again, the Reader's Digest version. Let's fast-forward to today's FBI. They don't need to be told to conduct political hatchet jobs. They'll just do it on their own. And they're so consumed with themselves. They think they're better, literally, than everybody else. They feel like they have the moral authority if they do it, it must be right. There is no finer institution than the FBI and no finer people 
than the men and women who work there and are its very beating heart. The FBI is composed of some of the finest people we will ever know, right? The reality is, is they protect us, they defend us, we go to sleep better at night because of what they do in our interests. The FBI is the best in the world, and I have great confidence that they will do good work. Unequivocally, the finest investigative team that exists on the planet is our FBI, without question. The FBI that I see is people, decent people, committed to the highest principles of integrity and professionalism and respect. You see how they can get a, a big head, potentially, and just be convinced and cons that, that, that they're righteous, right? Everybody says we are the best. They're not. No way. And for some reason, they seem committed to protecting the Biden family. I mean, we don't want anything physically bad to happen to these people, but surely if they engage in obvious corruption, we have a right to know. The FBI doesn't think so. It's incredible what we're learning. Now, this is Hunter Biden all cleaned up. We know that he's had some rough days, right? Uh, here he is the way he appears normally. And on that laptop, we know that he was doing business all over the world, even though he has literally zero skill. Uh, the business started to go through the roof when his father became vice president of the United States. That's what he had to offer because during those years, he was addicted to crack cocaine and hookers a major liability, except for the connection to his dad. So Hunter had a penchant for putting everything in writing, taking pictures of all of his exploits and keeping it on his laptop. You know, by now, in early 2020, he dropped that laptop off in Wilmington, Delaware, at John Isaac's repair shop and never came back to pick it up. Uh, he owes still, I think, Hunter Biden 85 bucks for all the work he did. But 90 days went by. Hunter did not pick it up. And he's watching the hearings on TV. And he hears this word over and over again. Burisma, Burisma, Burisma. And he's like, where did I hear that word before? I heard that word before somewhere. I've seen that word. Hunter's laptop. Because he spent a lot of time on the laptop trying to repair it. It's all in uh, Miranda Devine's book, How Laptop from Hell. He enters the word Burisma, and then it's bingo, <laughs> and he realizes there's a lot of bad stuff on this thing. I've got to do something with it. I can't keep it here for much longer. He does the right thing. At least he thought it was the right thing. He called the FBI, and the FBI, well, they're not interested in justice much these days, are they? They are interested in protecting the Biden family. He never hears from them again. After a couple of days, they have a question or two. How do we access this laptop? Very amateurish questions, quite frankly. <laughs> He's like, uh, are you guys really the FBI? Yeah, we are. Advise that you keep your mouth shut. And then nothing happens. He doesn't hear anything about it in the news. Months go by and he's like, you know what? This stuff, if the FBI isn't going to do anything with it, maybe Rudy Giuliani will. John Mac Isaac knows that Rudy Giuliani is close to Donald Trump. He's uh, running part of the campaign. He's an excellent lawyer. Rudy Giuliani is mailed the laptop and he looks at it and says, oh boy, wow, this is a roadmap to Biden family corruption. And you know what? During a political campaign, opposition research, as Democrats would say, looking for dirt on your opponent, that's a-okay. It's actually a pretty good idea because you don't want the wrong guy getting the job. But something interesting happens. The New York Post, of course, publishes this. 
And then they're essentially chased off the Internet immediately. Twitter decides that the New York Post will lose their Twitter account over this story. They were poised, positioned, spring-loaded to censor this story. Why is that? Well, they had a heads up for a long time because they had been monitoring Rudy Giuliani for probably over a year. They knew his comings and goings. They knew he had the laptop and they knew that he was trying to get the thing published and they put the word out. Oh, boy, they did. The FBI got very, very aggressive. Do you remember back in 2015, 2016, when they put that uh, wiretap on Carter Page? Nobody knows who Carter Page is. Nobody knew who Carter Page was. That was a very bad thing to do. They lied on the wiretap, by the way, on the application for it. But consider how much, I don't know, bolder they got. They put a wire on Rudy Giuliani the next time around. Now, why are we going through all this? Because Elon Musk, oh yeah, it's great that he owns that company. And now that he does, he's going through the documents, he's going through the emails, and he's sharing it with his friends, these great journalists from Barry Weiss to uh, Matt Taibbi. They're excellent. And one thing I did not know that they have promoted, they're pointing out, how many ex-FBI agents were working at Twitter? Twitter's top ranks riddled with ex-FBI employees, a whole slew of them. Do they really need this many ex-FBI agents? Why would they be there? More on that in a moment. So one guy who was not working officially at Twitter, but might as well, is Elvis Chan. Elvis Chan from the San Francisco office, Special Agent Elvis Chan, um, this guy was corresponding with Twitter all the time, and it looks like he and his colleagues at the FBI were conducting an information operation. They wanted to kind of shape the thinking of Twitter executives so that at the moment of truth, they would delete the Hunter Biden laptop story, which they knew was coming. All right. Some new documents and uh, observations that have been released by the, uh, the team working uh, with Elon Musk. Let's go through them. This is the Twitter files, part seven. So again, Elon Musk and his team, they've been updating the public about what happened at Twitter in 2020, 2022, everything that was happening there between Twitter and the FBI, the intelligence community. And we had this today. Time and time again, the FBI asked Twitter for evidence of foreign influence and Twitter responds that they aren't finding anything worth reporting. It's almost like the FBI wants there to be a foreign issue that they have to deal with. They're using 2016 as an excuse, as a pretext and saying it must be worse than 2016, right? Wrong. Next, this is what Twitter says. We haven't yet identified activity that we typically refer to you or even flag as interesting in the foreign influence context. They're like, what are you guys talking about? They get along. They're friendly. But Twitter is like, why is the FBI pushing this stuff? Next, despite Twitter's pushback, the FBI repeatedly requests information from Twitter that Twitter has already made clear it will not share outside of normal legal channels. Um, they're pushing their luck. Now, I want to show you a guy. I've got mixed feelings about him by now. His name is Yoel Roth. All right. He was like the head moderator of content at Twitter. Definitely a liberal guy. And I think up to no good. But even he had his limits, and it looked like he was growing a bit suspicious of the FBI. 
But take a look at this. This is sworn testimony from him. Since 2018, I have had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security. That's some pretty high wattage company. During these weekly meetings, the federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack and leak operations by state actors that they might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely in October. I also learned in these meetings that there were rumors that the hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. So, the entire intelligence community is getting everybody ready. This is going to happen. It's a Hunter Biden laptop and it's coming because they've all been tipped off, probably by the FBI, that this laptop exists and they know Rudy Giuliani has it and he's trying to push it out to the world. How would you explain this? Yoel Roth and some other industry bigwigs from big tech get together in Aspen in September of 2020 for a tabletop exercise. What are we going to do in case of a digital hack and dump operation? All right. It's a digital hack and dump operation working group, you know, like a corporate seminar where you practice problems. Well, this is what they were practicing. Uh, Twitter and NPR and a bunch of other news organizations exercise the Burisma leak. All right. Now, when was this Burisma uh, exercise leak? When was it? September again of 2020. Now, that's two months before the laptop with all kinds of information about Burisma came out. And this was going down. Oh, the notional drill, all right, would happen on Monday, October 5th. They were actually a little bit early. But notionally, they're going to have this hack and dump operation. By the way, hacking... They want it to be hacked because a hack you could actually keep off of social media because it would technically be stolen information. The Hunter Biden laptop was not stolen. It was lost. So when this thing finally gets picked up by the New York Post, the world is supposed to change, right? I mean, this is a huge story. And right away, they get kicked off the Internet. Now, remember, the FBI, the intelligence community, they've been prepping Twitter for this moment. And Yoel Roth, he he wakes up that morning. He's kind of conflicted about what's going on. Listen to this. We learn about DC leaks and we learn about the intersection between APT 28, a unit of Russian military intelligence, a hacking group. And so the morning of the Hunter Biden story in The New York Post happens. And it was weird, right? We didn't know what to believe. We didn't know what was true. There was, there was smoke, and ultimately for me, uh, it didn't reach a place where I was comfortable removing this content from Twitter. But it set off every single one of my finely tuned APT28 hack and leak campaign alarm right, bells. So it looked possibly probably. It, everything about it looked you like a hack. All right, did you hear that? He didn't see a reason initially to kick it off the internet but this APT28, his, he's, he's triggered about APT28. Now, what is that? APT28, quite frankly, he shouldn't know anything about it. APT28 is this hyper-exclusive Russia group that likes to hack. And he's been tipped off about it by all those meetings he was having with DNI, with the Department of Homeland Security, with the FBI. Even though when they looked at Twitter, the Twitter executives, they weren't seeing any evidence 
a foreign influence, but they keep suggesting the FBI that there must be something. And at this moment of truth, he thinks about APT 28. All right. What happens next? Well, the Twitter team, well, they've got this ex-FBI guy, Baker, working there. They're having a debate about this. Baker repeatedly insists that the Hunter Biden materials were either faked, hacked, or both, and a violation of Twitter policy. Baker does so over email and in a Google Doc on October 14th and 15th. Baker is the ex-general counsel of the FBI. He hates Trump. He helped initiate a previous investigation of Trump. He is doing Joe Biden's bidding, just like the entire intelligence community. Now, do you remember the debate? Joe Biden actually is telling the truth here about what the intelligence community are doing for him, providing him cover and all kinds of excuses. Joe Biden is, I mean, he's deceptive, but he's actually invoking the intelligence community and accurately summarizing what they're doing for him. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend, Rudy Gianni. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? And you that's exactly it. what, is this that's where exactly going? what This is told. where he's going. The laptop that, right. is Russia, yes. Russia, Russia? I want to stay on the issue of race. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. That's exactly what, that's exactly what, that's exactly what they were saying. And they were to give him cover. It was so deceptive. And this was probably a long time coming. You know, the FBI, the intelligence community, they had it in for Trump. They did not like him. Do you remember during the campaign of 15, 16, he actually called out the intelligence community for making some pretty big mistakes, missing 9-11, um, no weapons of mass destruction. And Chuck Schumer said to himself, these guys were out for revenge. He's taking these Shots, this antagonism, yep. this taunting to the intelligence tell community. You, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. <laughs> wow. Get back at the president? That actually would be like getting back at the country. Who are these? Who are these people? They're supposed to work for us. This is a democracy, right? The people are in charge, not unelected, faceless bureaucrats. Elon Musk, again, we got to thank him for turning all of this stuff over. You should see how the, how the media is treating this story, though. They don't care about anything we just talked about. They're only upset because some guy from CNN, some assistant producer or whatever, lost his Twitter account. They care more about this guy, who apparently was tweeting about where um, Elon Musk's plane was, or he might have been retweeting that account. I mean, the New York Post, the oldest newspaper in the country, lost its Twitter access. The New York over this story. How about that? So I know this is complicated, uh, but Watergate was complicated. Iran-Contra was complicated. Whitewater was complicated. The difference here is it's only us. Very, very few are touching this story. And it's dynamite. And it implicates Joe Biden, the FBI. And look at this. Look at the Sunday shows, these corrupt Sunday shows. One after the next, they did not, they, no mention of the FBI on uh, Meet the Press, 
on ABC This Week. On Fox News Sunday, I think there was one mention, and it had nothing to do with what we're talking about. All of these shows, not talking about the FBI, this story broke on, well, it got bigger on Friday and again on Saturday and more today, and they continue to ignore it. But the Federal Bureau of Investigation, no, they are not good people. They are, I'm sure there's a good person or two who work there, but we've got some new new names for the FBI. Something like this, some rebranding perhaps. Friends of Biden Incorporated. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a bit better. Uh, what else could we call the FBI? Fraudulent, biased inquiries. Mm, yeah, that could work too. Forever blowing it. <laughs> they have a long history of uh, screwing things up. Uh, may I see some more, please? Facetious, bloated incompetence. Oh, wow. How about forgetting basic instructions like the law? And finally, and I think this might be my favorite, fanatically bothering the innocent. Yeah, running around the country trying to get a bunch of people on misdemeanor January 6th offenses. You know, just because the FBI, you're so convinced that you're better than everybody else. We just heard those people say, oh, yeah, we are a cut above. No, you're not. And when you start thinking like that, you get yourself in trouble, as we can see. I'll be right back. So, January 6th, the hearings are finally over, the fake hearings. Maybe when the Republicans take over, we'll have some real hearings to find out about the real security failures and why Ashley Babbitt was shot to death. But uh, they went out with some fanfare today. Actually, I'm going to give them a little bit more fanfare. The committee, they entered so serious, so self-important. I thought uh, some music might be in order. Hogan's Heroes, all right. Remember that goofy show? Well, look at these goofy, unserious people. This was disgusting. Everything about these January 6th hearings. You know, America, one side presents their case, and then the defense gets to make their case, and then you have witnesses, and then there's cross-examination. They didn't have any of that. They just had one-sided vitriol of their choosing, tightly edited testimony. This is, this is not America. They also talked down to us. This is Congresswoman Nuria, Luria, whatever. She lost, by the way. A number of these people lost their bids for re-election. Talking to us like we're, I don't know, four-year-olds. Uh, doesn't she have like a story time, you know, for kids vibe going? All of President Trump's efforts came to a head on the afternoon of January 6th. Standing on the stage of the ellipse, President Trump told tens of thousands of angry supporters that the election was stolen, that they had the power to change that if they marched to the Capitol, and that they wouldn't have a country anymore if the presidency was taken away from him. Oh, my goodness he gracious. He would be there with them. Two years later, she's going to tell us what Trump said leaving out everything that he did say that was exculpatory, that was totally fine. March peacefully and patriotically. They think we're idiots. They have no respect for us. And then a panel like that universally approves uh, 
nonsense criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. Not one dissenting vote. This is this is not America. The question is on the motion to favorably report to the House. Those in favor say aye. Aye. Those opposed, no. In the opinion of the chair, the ayes have it. Mr. Chairman, I request a recorded vote. A recorded vote is requested. The clerk will call the roll. Ms. Cheney? Aye. Ms. Cheney? Aye. Ms. Lofgren? Aye. Ms. Lofgren? Aye. Mr. Schiff? Aye. Oh, get Mr. over Schiff, <laughs> This is funnier than I realized, all right? They just called everybody. Nobody voted no. They all agree. But no, we'll have a recording of the vote for more drama so they can each get on TV for an extra microsecond. How disgusting is that? I think it's awful. And again, Ashley Biden, I'm sorry, Ashley Babbitt shot and killed that day. And nobody seems to care but us. And those three cops who just walked off the job, just walked away. Why did they do that? Moments before Ashley Babbitt was shot, these guys just split. Coffee break, fellas, what's going on? And then all hell breaks loose. And uh, Lieutenant Michael Bird, Lieutenant Michael, she was a threat, Bird, opens fire. So back to the hearings. Uh, why did we sit through all that nonsense? What was it all about? Uh, somebody from the fake news actually figured it out and was was quite clear about it. This committee has really shown how to conduct a successful congressional investigation, clearly having an effect on the 2022 midterms, clearly having an effect on Donald Trump's approval ratings right now. The 2022 midterms. Keep it going. Stretch it out. Two years all the way to the 2022 midterms. And yeah, they uh, they actually pulled this stuff off. I think a key part of that for them was uh, bringing out the right witnesses, witnesses that even Republicans would feel, oh, maybe we shouldn't say anything about these guys because we're not supposed to. The Capitol are the ideal of the way that we wish police would behave all over the country. The Capitol Police officers, these brave men who were there on the front lines on January 6th. I want to thank you for speaking out, Michael. Speaking out. The Capitol cops should be ashamed. The Capitol Hill cops should be ashamed. Um, let's start with Caroline Edwards. Uh, somehow she thought it was beneath her to respond to a riot. That's what cops do. How about Harry Dunn? The anti-Trump trash and the lies he said about what he encountered that day. We can go into that at a later date, but we caught this guy in some major lies. Aquino Ganell, well, you can't say anything about him. He served in Iraq. Oh, yeah? Well, I can. He actually said, a Capitol Hill police officer said that Republican members that he disagreed with did not deserve to be members of the House of Representatives. And he's walking around with a gun. He was walking around with a gun. And, of course, Michael Fanon. <laughs> That hillbilly act did not fool me. Did it fool you? So there are criminal referrals against President Trump. They are a joke, and that committee is a disgrace. And one day, one day, everybody will understand it. I'll be right back.
So, Title 42, we thought we were going to lose it on Wednesday. A Trump-era policy uh, to keep migrants, illegal migrants, out, at least a lot of them. It was set to expire. If that happened, a bad situation would have become even worse. Now, one of the people we have to thank, at least a provisional thank you, is uh, the Chief Justice, John Roberts. He's the one who issued what I believe is called a provisional stay. A judge had earlier ruled that this thing was going to basically be um, uh, null and void come Wednesday. That won't happen now. But no matter what happens, we can thank Ken Paxton, the Texas Attorney General. He and attorneys general from all over the country got together and are trying to save this country. Ken Paxton, Attorney General, welcome back to uh, Newsmax. How are you and how are you feeling tonight? You know what? This is a good victory for the, for the country. Obviously, it's, it's a short-term victory. But it's much better than where we were just, you know, hours ago, where this was going to expire in, in, on Wednesday and create havoc along the border, which we already have, but it, but it would have been even worse. All right. So what are the mechanics here? Uh, Title 42, I understand that policy. Uh, how did you guys frame it? Why did the judge, the lower court judge say no? And why did Chief Justice Roberts say, you know, we're going to hold on to this thing? Yeah, so all we're saying is we want a chance to be heard on this issue. We haven't been heard. Uh, we've we've had arguments on, on this stay, but we really haven't been heard on the merits. And so all we want to do is get the opportunity to, to make our argument, which is this policy was not handled correctly by the Biden administration. They didn't go through the right process, and they, they're required to get through a process. They can't just unilaterally end a policy like this without going through the right uh, process. Well, that's terrific. Uh, how long is this going to take? I know it's just a little bit of breathing room, but I mean, could we could we extend it? I'd like to breathe for the next couple of years. I mean, these the, doesn't have to go quickly. You guys, you know, lawyers, judges doesn't move very fast. Is there any way we can you know slow this thing up? Look, that's what we're trying to do. We know the devastation that we're already experienced. We've also had a recent victory last week on Remain in Mexico. So we have with those two particular policies that were very successful during the Trump administration, the fact that they're both back in court and they're both in a, in a position where we stopped the Biden administration from ignoring those gives me some hope. Because without those two, the Biden administration just does what they want to do. They're ignoring federal law. They're ignoring, he's ignoring his constitutional role to protect the United States and to follow the Constitution. And what that means for America is a lot of uh, bad stuff economically and uh, as it relates to crime and drugs. Why do you think, I've uh, my own theories, but why wouldn't the Biden administration be so aggressive on this massive problem? And especially what could happen? I mean, it would double the number, some estimates, double the number of illegal uh, people coming here. What do you think? Why aren't they being more cooperative? Well, I think this is what they want. They He announced on day one, Joe Biden announced on day one, he wasn't gonna deport anybody. That's clearly a violation of federal law. It's clearly a violation of his constitutional duty to implement federal law. He doesn't get to make it, but he started making federal law day one, and he signaled very early to the cartels, hey, get as many people here as fast as you can. I don't care what their background is. I don't care if they're criminals. As a matter of fact, we're fighting with them over that right now. We've got them stopped from releasing criminals into our country, but that's how far the Biden administration is willing to go. They want to release criminals into the country who have a background of, of, of criminal acts, they, that tells you their, their strategy. They want to get as many people here, no matter what their background, as fast as possible. And they've signaled to the cartels, 
you can make a lot of money if you do this. That's uh I think it's an impeachable offense. If you look it up in the Constitution, he's supposed to protect the country from invasion. This seems to be an invasion. Looks like one, sounds like one. It's fascinating, though. This is another Trump-era policy that even some Democrats, even some people around Joe Biden, you know, there are apparently some who are not crazy, kind of want this thing to be extended, and they are breathing a sigh of relief. I don't know if Joe Biden totally understands what's going on, but there are some. Isn't it kind of ironic? though, that uh, the Biden administration, one of the biggest advantages potentially it has is a leftover from the Trump era. Oh, there's no doubt. Look at the numbers. They, they speak for themselves before. When Trump was in office, we got the numbers down significantly of illegal immigration policies of, you know, stopping catch and release, implementing remain in Mexico, implementing Title 42 and building the wall. The Biden administration has dismantled all of that. And what are the results? The numbers speak for themselves. Immigration, illegal immigration and crime Illegal immigration is up over 300 percent. Crimes up. Fentanyl deaths are up. Uh, deaths of migrants are up. Uh, crime is up in all kinds of uh, ways all over the country, especially along along the border. And so the Biden administration knew this was going to happen. They said, "We want it. We're going to do it." And that's exactly what they've done. Hey, one more thing, real quick. Uh, you've been very aggressive that children should be children and they shouldn't be undergoing crazy therapy about gender. Uh, Texas, though, is becoming like ground zero and there are more drag shows than ever and all kinds of strange things. And I mean, a drag show is fine, except when you perform one for kids, except when you insist on giving a child a lap dance. Why do you think that is? I know that the legal fights and the legal implications, but why culturally is this happening? You know, it's really hard for me to understand. You're talking about children and, and putting them under that type of, of pressure and under that type of uh, in that type of situation. I don't understand why any parent would want to do that. And so I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask because I do not understand it at all. Ken Paxton, attorney general from Texas. We appreciate what you've done. And along with the 18 other attorneys general all across the did, did you get on a conference call? Is that how you guys work it? I mean, that's a lot of things to manage. Uh, how do you do that real quick? It's conference call. It's staff talking to each other. I mean, there's a lot of coordination. It's uh, a lot of coordination really quick, but we've gotten good at the Biden administration has put us in a position where we have to work together. Well done, sir. And really best to you and your colleagues. We'll be right back. Okay, this is a historic day on Capitol Hill. Well, it's definitely a historic moment when you have a congressional committee recommending a former U.S. president for criminal prosecution. Congratulations to an incredible effort, especially by the chairman. Oh, boy, they are tickled, tickled that uh, Donald Trump there recommending charges uh, for stuff that happened at the Capitol, even though he was three miles away telling everybody to be peaceful. I just it is laughable to me, in my opinion. But uh, how about Matthew Whitaker, the former acting United States attorney general under President Trump, uh, Mr. Attorney General? And I think you get that title for the rest of your life, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what would not you a bad title to have? Not at all. General, General Whitaker, uh, what would you have done as attorney general if some congressional committee came to you with, we recommend these charges? What, what would your reaction be? 
Well, in this case, when it's a lopsided, you know, completely partisan committee manufactured solely for political theater, I would have just set it on the side of my desk and let the professionals at DOJ do their work. Listen, the Attorney General Merrick Garland right now has to be a little upset. He, with great fanfare and serious deliberation, we're told, he appointed Jack Smith uh, to look at this exact same set of facts. And so to have this partisan January 6th committee refer something to the Department of Justice when he already has an investigation going, uh, just injects politics and, and prevents him from doing exactly what he had hoped to do, or at least was trying to do publicly, and that is conduct a non-political investigation. But we all know where this is going. It's going nowhere because these people on this committee are not serious and, you know, they're not very smart either, quite frankly. Uh, and they're not very American. I mean, it's it really it really got to me today as they were summing up and you saw the the testimony and little snippets, not hours of testimony, but eight seconds of testimony selectively chosen. No cross-examination. The defense isn't present isn't able to present their case. I mean, those are the fundamentals, right? Uh, th that's the way it's all supposed to work. What's the word that covers all that stuff? America, I think. Or what what else? Yeah, it's the Constitution. It is our fundamental founding principles. And one of those founding principles is that Article One, the Congress doesn't have police powers. Uh, you know, obviously our founding fathers and the drafters of the Constitution didn't trust the, you know, hyper partisan uh, uh, nature of the Congress and the Senate to have those police powers. And so that's why the executive branch has it. It's why we have a very uh, structured way of doing cases. It's why we protect fundamental constitutional. Uh, rights and privileges, and this obviously this committee did did none of that, and it's why their work shouldn't be taken seriously. And they also didn't look at the most important thing, which is the security situation on January sixth, and why it was so um, lax on that day. Yeah, exactly. Why some cops were letting people inside, and of course, Ashley Babbitt. Um, wow, I I think that uh, what's his name, Merrick Garland, is a bit of a excuse me. He doesn't seem very strong. Let me put it that way. He doesn't seem very strong. And I think this I think he's crazy enough to do something. I think he wants the pressure alleviated and charging the president will, in his mind, alleviate the pressure. Ten seconds. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's great power in that position, but there's great responsibility. And if he's not up to it, he need to find somebody that can make the decision, which is you don't bring cases against the former president where there's no evidence that he did anything criminal. Well, you also don't search his house. And somehow that happened. And uh, right. well, Matthew Whitaker, amazing to uh, talk to you, and I really appreciate it. Former acting attorney general for the United States of America. We appreciate it, sir, and we'll be right back. All, All I can, can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? And if they got it, they would have been all over President Biden uh, for his bizarre, weird, dishonest speech on Friday night. I don't think Joe, um, well, we know he's got problems, but this was bad even for him. And it was totally unremarked upon. Uh, for starters, he warmed up with an ethnic joke. I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. I married Dominic Giacoppa's daughter. So, you know, I got an old Italian in me now, you know. What? I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. I may be. Is he saying the Irish are stupid? What's going on there? It makes no sense. Zero. None. He's lost it. And then he told a, a bunch of stories that we know are not true. 
uh, all kinds of problems, factual errors, and then bizarrely got angry in the middle of it. Uncle Frank fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was not feeling very well now, not because of the Battle of the Bulge, but he said, and he won the Purple Heart, and he never received it. He never, he never got it. Do you think you could help him get it? We'll surprise him. So I got him the Purple Heart. Come in in 10 days, two weeks. More people have died from suicide, 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 than any other cause. I went to present it to him, too, and he said, I don't want it. I don't want it. He died. He died. I've been in and out, not as uh, obviously combatant, but in and out of Afghanistan, Iraq, and his areas 38, 39 times. As not as president, only twice as president. Nothing else to prove. Nothing else to prove. Because why should the burden be on the victim to demonstrate the problems they've suffered since then? Jeez, I'm sorry. They died. They died. Suicide! They died. Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, this man needs help. And let me tell you, if they actually run him for president, which it looks like they're going to do, they must know something. They must have it rigged. I mean, this man cannot withstand an honest up or down presidential vote. Can't. No way. Zero. This country, in an honest and free and fair election, would never reelect him. And they're going to put him forward. That makes me very suspicious. Does it make you suspicious? All right. Joe also said some things about Bo. I don't think we have time for that. He's trying to gain sympathy again from his son. His son was a hero in his own right. But why lie about it? You know, why exaggerate it? Some deep issues there, too. We'll be right back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Wow, uh, that was a pretty intense show. I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you tomorrow night. Many thanks all. 